everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus would. Today we're going to do something a little bit differently. Rather than interview a guest apologist, I've invited another member of our Ambassadors Forum, Adrian Toder, here with me today to talk about a forum that we did together a few months ago. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Adrian, you and I got started in the Ambassadors Forum together by teaching a youth group session on apologetics. Remember that? Yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> that was really cool. What we did is we kind of team taught. I would teach a week or two, and then Adrian would teach a week or two. And we went back and forth on a bunch of the just apologetics basics for our church youth group. And we got a bunch of great questions, a bunch of engagement. It's where I was introduced to the fact that kids today do almost all of their interaction over text. And so I learned to text, and they would ask me apologetics questions by texting, and I would give them answers, and I would have to cram my entire answer into a text, which was quite a challenge. But it was a good learning experience for me to try and be concise in my thoughts and clear in my communication. And so anything else stick out for you well, in that time? If you want to know if you're a prepared apologist, don't go teach an adult class. Teach <laughs> a youth group. They'll find where you're not ready. And yes. uh, they had probing questions. They were excellent. And it was an excellent time to prepare kids who are about to go into the college system yes. where so many lose their faith actually prepare them to answer the questions. And so it was a good time to this day to get uh, calls and texts about how they encounter exactly what we had said yeah. they would encounter when they get to the university. So that was, a, that was a good thing we did. Yeah, it was really fun. So we had our annual conference in October, and then you and I did a forum after that in, on November 20th where we just did kind of an open Q&A for anybody who had gone to the conference. So this is adults, kids. And we ran an ad on Facebook in preparation for that question and answer forum. And that's what I want to talk about today. So the actual Facebook ad that we ran was, if you want to ask us a hard question about Christianity, here is your chance. No question is too hard. We thought that was pretty benign. We weren't out there with really aggressive Christian doctrine. You know, we've been doing this a while, but even we were surprised. We got over 147 comments within like 12 hours, and we eventually had to take the post down because there was so much hate speech. And so today I want to talk about three things about that experience. One is just a flavor of the comments. For those of you who aren't out doing this, we just want to let you know this is out there. Two, we want to take a couple of the actual arguments and questions that came up and address them. And then three, let's end with some dialogue tips for social media. I think there was some things that we can learn by looking at <laughs> what the comments were and what the responses were. So first, just a flavor of the comments. Adrian, you read through these again last night to kind of refresh your memory. What stands out for you? 
I think that forcing me into this was cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> Reading through 147 comments of online trollery is uh, not something I enjoy doing uh, most evenings. <laughs> Here's one of the comments, just to give you guys a flavor. It says, Christians think that worshiping a god gives them the right to sell their daughters into slavery to be used as breeding stock to make more servants. Another comment was, I want to see you try to defend owning and beating slaves as a God-given right. Another one in a similar vein was, you believe in a God who spoke to Moses and gave him laws like it's okay to sell your daughters, beat your slaves, and kill your belligerent children. I want to see you try to defend that. Another example was, the Bible teaches people to apply morality unjustly and then blame the victims of moral injustice. The Christian religion is so dangerous because it provides every excuse for any immoral act. <laughs> so all of these comments were from... If you want to ask us a hard question about Christianity, here's your chance. No question is too hard. <laughs> well, you asked for it, so there you go. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is all too common when it comes to online discussions. I went through a period in my life where I wanted to be a warrior online, and most discussions that people enter into, unfortunately, has this flavor of extremism. It's not a nuanced approach. It's going to be, how do I beat my opponent over the head as aggressively as possible? Unfortunately, it's very effective because what you've got is a very hard-hitting challenge that now is left out there. And you're faced with a, from my point of view, an, an uninformed, unnuanced attack on Christianity the response is going to re require nuance and discussion and, f and a fair-mindedness and clear thinking, none of which the opening is inviting. And so you'll see in, in these discussions, unfortunately, this kind of attack. And then what really breaks my heart is the response from the Christians. What we have, unfortunately, is a lot of well-meaning Christians who then go on and start to try to engage in a way that's not effective. So many times they just simply will quote a Bible verse and say, bam, I win, here's your Bible verse. Feeling like simply quoting the Bible will suffice, and what it ends up becoming is, unfortunately, your typical online discussion where you've got some name-calling, you've got some God is evil and the devil, and those who worship him are Satan, and then the response comes back, well, you're a godless atheist who deserves to go to hell, and now we've got an unfruitful discussion where really the people on the sidelines who actually want to think about the subject, they're the ones left without really a place to go and and a place to hear good discussion, or at least not, not on Facebook. Let me cover a couple of the actual arguments that did come up, and I'll actually read the post comment and then explain it a little bit. Everyone always thinks that they have the right religion. It was the group that worshipped Thor that was correct. It was the group that worshipped Ra that was correct. It's all the same sort of indoctrinated belief that no one can prove. It makes me sad, and it all needs to go away. I think what the person was bringing up was this idea that all religions are the same, and Christianity is just one of thousands. Maybe you've heard it described this way, that an atheist just believes in one less God than a Christian does. The idea that out of thousands of potential gods to believe in, 
Christians have whittled it down to one, and atheists have whittled it down to zero. Have you come across oh, that yeah. before? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, very much what we call the village atheist argument. <laughs> um, this response is really interesting because he starts with the claim that every religion thinks that they're right. And it does sound a bit arrogant, and I've been challenged with this before, where friends of mine who are unbelievers would say things like, well, if you go to India, they're Hindu. If you go to Japan, they're Buddhists. If you go to the Middle East, they're Muslims. And here you are, one of seven or eight billion people in the world. Who the heck are you to think you're right and everybody else is wrong? And it does make it feel like we are arrogant Christians. We're, here we are on our pedestal. We think we're right and the whole rest of the world is wrong. But I, of course we think we're right. This is not an arrogant statement. In fact, everyone thinks they're right. We have certain opinions. The person who wrote this has a certain opinion. He thinks he's right, while all the other religions of the world are wrong. And I don't condemn him for that. Thinking you're right isn't an arrogant statement. It's a prerequisite for having an opinion. Yes. The other challenge is this idea that there used to be a whole bunch of gods. When we looked into the sky and saw thunder, we couldn't explain thunder. So we believed in a thunder god and called him Thor. We had river gods and cloud gods and all these things that basically filled in for a certain lack of knowledge. We would eventually come to describe this as the God of the gaps argument. Wherever you can't understand how something works, throw in God in there, voila, your problem solved. This is not the kind of God that we are talking about. As Christians, we don't hold to a God that explains the things we simply are unable to explain. Christianity has this notion that it actually fits the evidence of the way the world actually is. Over the last, I would say, 50, 70 years, we're realizing that there's more and more of the evidence that shows us things that are explainable only by a divine creator. If we think of the way that life works and DNA works, and we see information in our own cells, and we realize that information only comes from one place, it comes from a mind, that's no longer, I don't understand how it works. We do understand how it works, and we know where these things come from. And that's the kind of evidence that we're talking about here, not just simply, I don't understand it God must fill in the blanks. That's not the God we're advocating for. I think that's a great explanation, Adrian. Another example is there was a time, scientifically speaking, where people thought the universe was eternal. And so they said, who created the universe? Nobody, because it's been around forever. It's eternal. And then, like you said, in the last 50 to 70 years, big telescopes and astronomy, and we find out, oh, you know what? The universe is expanding. And so it can't have been eternal. And if you want to know who resisted this idea the most, it was the atheists. It was yes. the people who wanted to reject a finite universe. That was something they held on to almost beyond reason yes. because of the implications. Because they, they knew, knew where it was going. They, knew they were it. like, wait a minute. <laughs> if the universe wasn't eternal, somebody had to start it. <laughs> and it couldn't have just been nothing. Let's go to the next one. The Bible thinks you should own slaves and beat them until they die, and you know you guys are horrible and all these things. It basically boils down to what is a common argument, which is, fine, I'll give you that God exists, but I still don't want to worship him as God because he's evil, because he does all these horrible things. Have you run across that? What's been your response? Yeah, in fact, I think anyone who reads the Old Testament encounters this issue, where you read certain verses, and you come across something that boy, it just makes your skin crawl a little bit. And you think, <laughs> at first glance, this just sounds wrong. You read yeah. verses about owning slaves. Yeah. And this is one where if we simply take it at an internet-level argument, the Bible says you can own slaves, done, problem yeah. solved. And that takes only you know 10 words to make that accusation. The Bible says you can own slaves. 
The answer, unfortunately, doesn't take 10 words because you've got nuance to this that requires some time to unpack. For example, when you're looking at slaves in the Bible, in the vast majority of cases, you're not talking about what we think of in chattel slavery like we had in America you know, before 1850. What it's speaking to is indentured servitude. And this is a completely different system. This, in most cases, is someone who became indebted and needed to, as it were, sell himself or his services to a master in order to get out of debt. And a lot of the laws that are in these Old Testament passages are pertaining to how you are to treat this person. Now, there's one more thing you got to know, and that's, again, it takes t- t- nuance and it takes time to understand this, that I believe that the Old Testament law takes what was and makes it better. God met civilization where they were and advanced it forward, didn't advance it to perfection, but it, he took what existed and allowed himself to work with it. For example, there's a passage that I keep encountering of challenges from atheists, and I believe it's in Leviticus where it says, if your son is rebellious... You are to take him to the elders of the city, and you should tell them that my son is a drunkard, and he's rebellious, and he's disrespectful, and the elders are to listen, adjudicate the situation, and then they are to stone him with stones. And the atheist will immediately say, well, look at this, you're, you're advocating stoning children. But again, if you come to the table with this idea that God took what was and made it better, what you see is that this law was actually a huge advancement because up until that point, parents had the power of life and death over their children. And what this law did is it took it out of their hands and it gave it to people who were less hot-headed than some of these parents. (laughs) And as a result, we have exactly zero evidence of any child ever being stoned. Jesus referred to this, I think, when he was asked about divorce. He was asked, hey, why did Moses tell us to give our wife a certificate of divorce? And Jesus said it wasn't meant to be like this, but because of the hardness of your hearts, right. it was had to be like this. And so he says the ideal was you are to remain married for life. But That's because good. God knew where you were and who, what kind of people you were, he wanted to protect the woman and say, we're going to formalize this process. Right. That's a great example, Adrian. And again, we don't have time to unpack it in one radio episode. But I like that idea, how you explain that there's an ideal. And if you follow God's ideal, you never get into these exception circumstances. So another example that I was just reading recently was in the law, God provides for if you've married two women and you have sons by those two women. Well, you go back and you're like, well, wait a minute. You never should have gotten to the point where you married two women. God said, don't marry two women. So if you followed God's law, you never married two women in the first place. But he said, I know the hardness of your heart. (laughs) And I know there are going to be some circumstances out there where a man does marry two women. Let me give you some rules to govern that situation. And the rule was, if you had a son by the woman that was not your favorite, and he really was your firstborn son, you still had to give him firstborn rights and the property. You couldn't just give them to the firstborn son of the woman who was your favorite. So you're like, oh, see, God's promoting polygamy. No, no, no. He's saying, you guys are going to break my law. And when you break the law so it doesn't get even worse, let me give you some other laws to govern that. And I think if you had the time, you could sort of map this out and say, let's start with the Ten Commandments. If you follow the Ten Commandments, then this is the society that you will form, and you won't need all of these other things to keep society from completely falling apart once you've already disobeyed. Let's go to the fourth example. One of the commenters said, if God would just reveal himself to everybody, then we would all become Christians and the world would be perfect. And 
<laughs> what I've found interesting about this is if you read the Bible, and this is, comes from Romans chapter 1, and if you haven't thought through this before, it is fascinating. The first time you encounter this concept, you're like, wow, that's, that is significant. That is, that's a big idea. God's claim is that he has revealed himself to every single person on the planet to the extent that if they deny him, they are without excuse, and he's going to hold them accountable. He says, in two ways, I have revealed myself to everybody in the world by creation, by the fact that I've created, and by the fact that everybody has a conscience, by, by the fact that people feel guilty when they do bad things. Every single person knows that they look around and they see creation, and everybody says, man, and I've got this moral compass, this internal thing where I know when I do the wrong thing. Those two things, God says, he has revealed himself, and when you don't honor him as the creator, and when you violate your own conscience, you are breaking God's law. So what do you think about that? I think that's, that's absolutely right on. I also think about the time, the many, many times where God has done something completely miraculous, completely unexplainable, and those people, in a short amount of time later, disobey God or don't believe in him. I think of the people who walked through the Red Sea, one of the biggest miracles captured in the Bible, where God split the Red Sea, all the Israelites, millions of people walked through, and then he drowned all of Egypt's army in the Red Sea. And then within a few months, people are shaking their fist at God and saying, oh, you know, where is he? And, and they're in rebellion against God. And you're like, wait a minute, these are the same people who en masse, in, as a group of millions of people, just witnessed a completely unexplainable miracle. If the logic of this question was correct, those people would be absolute God followers for life. You know, if that worked, if God said, okay, fine, here, I'll show myself to everybody and everybody will be convinced. Even when he has done that in the past, people are still so rebellious, so sinful, that they still shake their fist at God. Adrian, let's end this show with a couple of dialogue tips for social media. Again, you read through all these comments. There was some where I'm assuming it was an atheist and they said an attack against Christians. And then a Christian would just put a Bible verse. <laughs> it didn't even have to do with the question that the atheist was proposing. And they would just list a Bible verse. And then the atheist would say, uh, you didn't answer my question. There was one, it was like the classic, like five times, five times a Christian just kept posting a Bible verse with no explanation. And it was cringeworthy. It made me embarrassed. It made me ashamed. I was like, ah, this is horrible. So what are some ways that people can do a better job in this difficult forum of social media? Sure. So I think that merely asking that question is a huge step forward. Having engaged in these conversations, I'm reminded of Proverbs where Solomon says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Yeah. And I think, man, but what options do I have? And the very next verse, Solomon answers it. It says, <laughs> answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Yeah. We're stuck in this situation where if we kind of go down into the mud with him, we'll be like him. Or we leave it unanswered. And him and all those watching believe that we have no answers. Mm. But I think there's a third way. And the third way is answering the fool or even the person who challenges in a respectful way, yeah. not according to the way that he is doing it, but according to 
a way that is wise, in a way that is good, a way that is winsome, answering in a way such that the people around the discussion are the ones you're thinking of, mm. not necessarily that individual. I've gone through to countless discussions online, debates, where I'm challenged by somebody who is very aggressive, very unwilling to hear a good argument, but as I address the question with respect and grace and, at least in my opinion, good answers, yeah. even though I don't convince that person, I start seeing that there are people in the periphery who are watching the discussion that start to see the difference between the Christian and this troll that is trying to you know, get a rise out of me. And there's been countless times where the discussion ended, the person you know, just ended up calling me a name or something and went on to troll someone else. <laughs> and I would get messages later in private saying, hey, listen, I, I paid attention to the discussion. You had some good answers. And then I was able to continue the discussion privately with these people who were actually honest seekers. All the best discussions I've had online were after the fact, mm -hmm. not on the main discussion post. Another thing that I encourage people to do, and this kind of goes back to the second part of Proverbs where it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And that is push back. When, when people make an accusation, respectfully, gently, but push back. So here's an example. In one of these posts, a person said, the Bible says you should beat your slaves. And then it gives a Bible reference. This is, you know, an atheist post. They said, Luke 12:47 proves that the Bible teaches you should beat your slaves. So, unfortunately, the Christian in this thread ignored the reference and just went on with another thing and, and completely missed an opportunity. Well, I looked up Luke 12:47. The context is Jesus is giving a parable. He's talking about a servant who is disobedient to his master. And he says, a servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. But the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. And so when you read it in context, you say, oh, that servant who disobeyed his master is held accountable. He's punished for beating other servants, for you know, stealing, for all these things. Jesus is just giving this example and saying, look, our ultimate master is God. And when we disobey God and we break his commands and we are terrible to the people around us, we will be punished for disobeying God. That has nothing to do with saying people should own other people as slaves and they should beat them, even though that's how it was presented in the atheist argument. So a lot of people will throw Bible verses back at the Christians and say, I gotcha, here's a Bible verse, and they'll just throw it out there. And sometimes there is a difficult challenge that needs to be addressed, but more often than not, it's completely out of context and just a little bit of effort, just a little bit of research, and you can point that out. And I think what you'll do, as you explained before, is the people around you will look at that and say, wow, there's a thoughtful person, there's a person who did the research, and they came back with a reasonable answer. And I think that can be very powerful and impactful on the people who are watching.
It reminds me of, of why we do what we're doing. How many times do we go online and we read through a, a thread of comments and wish for an entire army of people who were prepared, as First Peter says, to actually give an answer with gentleness and respect? We could turn society's image of Christianity and God, for that matter, by following these simple things. But unfortunately, right now, there's so many who may be enthusiastic and wanting to jump into the fray, but are simply unprepared. And there's no virtue in jumping into a fight with no weapons. That's what I always imagine our ministry doing, is being one part of creating this army of Christians who are ready to go go to battle in a way that's uh, winsome and convincing, and to turn the ship around, especially online. Amen. Well, hey, Adrian, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, how about you? Are you confused about how to respond to aggressive attacks to your faith online? Do you feel the only way out is to run away? As Adrian said, the Bible calls every Christian to get equipped, to be ready to give a defense of the hope that we have in Christ. And the Ambassadors Forum is here to help you get started. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com. While you're there, you can look at some of the questions that we've already answered. You can ask us your hard question. You can sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. You can browse through some of our other helpful resources. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and sign up to join us for one of our monthly forum events where we have great speakers presenting on relevant topics. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.